0: Good morning and welcome to Element FM and Moment of Truth. You are listening in Toronto and Ottawa. If you are listening in Ottawa, you are at 95.7 Element FM. And in Ottawa, at Toronto rather, it is 106.5 Element FM. You can also listen anywhere across Canada on the Radio Player Canada app. Just download that app and just type in 95.7 E L M N T. FM or 106.5 ELMNT-FM, and you can listen on your device anywhere across this country. I'd like to welcome two officers to the show today from the Toronto Peacekeeping Force and also the Aboriginal uh, Peacekeeping Force. Uh, I have with me today Monica Rutledge, and she is a police constable, and also Constable Randy Arsenault, and he is an Aboriginal liaison officer. And I welcome them and we welcome them to the show today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you both here. Thanks for coming in today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: You know, um, being a, an officer must be a challenge in itself. Uh, I would think that being an officer in, in a, an Indigenous-related uh, position with the police force uh, in a large city like Toronto also has its challenges. But I would think it also has its rewards at the same time. Um, can I ask how long you guys have been involved with the Indigenous or Aboriginal uh, Peacekeeping Force in Toronto?
2: Well, I myself, uh, Police Constable Monica Rutledge, I've been with the Toronto Police Service for uh, 18 years, um, spent majority of my time as a primary response for many years, uh, worked in the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit from 2003 to 2005, and then uh, back in on it. 2014
1: to present. And I've been, uh, Randy Arsenal here. I've been on the with Toronto Police Service for almost 18 years. And before that, my dad worked. He was a Toronto Police officer, and he actually worked in the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit. And I volunteered with the unit. So I've been volunteering with the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit, the APU, for uh, probably close to 20, 22 years now. Wow.
0: Yeah. wow. That's a that's quite a long time. It certainly, is a career. That's for sure.
1: And as you mentioned before, <laughs> very rewarding.
0: And wh- how do, so? How would you say? Why why do you say that?
1: Um, well, listen. I hate to take. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't no, wanna go make ahead, it. please. So, being with um, watching my dad, my dad being a police officer, he spent most of his uh, career with the Emergency Task Force (ETF). Mm-hmm. And towards the end of his career, he moved over to the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit, which was run out of headquarters. Mm. And growing up, I actually I didn't. I had no dreams of being a police officer growing up because I saw my dad in very traditional policing roles and then especially being with the emergency task force, um, you know, that's a really, Mm. like, that's a go-go position. Sure. And at the end of his career, career, when he transferred over to the Aboriginal unit, um, that was the first time in my life I I was exposed personally to community policing. Mm. You know, you throw that term Mm. out there all the time. Mm -hmm. And I saw him in that role and I saw programs and initiatives, project warmth they were running back then and that was that really kind of appealed to me. I think that suited my personality a little more. Mm. And um so just, you know, trying to carry on what he um what he was doing is very re- rewarding mm. to me personally.
0: Mm. Yeah. Monica, what about you? What, you know, what do you what why get involved with the the Aboriginal or, or Indigenous uh, peacekeeping force? Or
2: all time. in all in policing. Um, so my father, I was adopted out, so I'm part of the 60 Scoop. Ah. And uh, my father never denied us who we were. He always shared and wanted to learn more about the culture and so forth. Mm. And I remember going back to the Sky Dome days and uh, just uh, listening to the music and the drumming and such. Um, also volunteered. I volunteered in my college years with the Aboriginal peacekeeping unit because this unit has been around for 26 years now. Within the Toronto Police Service, um, and as soon as I did my volunteer with the original officers of the unit, um, Bob Crawford, uh, Billy Williams, Clayton Mitchell, and eventually got to meet Randy's dad, uh, Paul Arsenal. It was something that I knew this is what I wanted to do, because as not only um, as officers do we provide our resources and support for the community, the community has given back tenfold to me and to many of our officers when it comes to uh, learning about our culture, where we're from, the language, um, teachings, inviting us into their homes and just sharing um, all that wealth of information. It's um, it's very rewarding that way.
0: That's very interesting that you you point that out because I think that that, that there's always that element of education with Indigenous issues. Uh, I've had many guests in here that uh, that are in that same kind of position, and Randy, maybe maybe you you found this as well. That it's not just policing and doing doing the job you're supposed to be doing. It's the added the added cultural elements, the ad, uh, the added identification. It's it's all those things that come with uh, an indigenous population that you need to be made aware of in order to pr- probably do your job correctly and and. Make your your clients in many cases, if they're indigenous, feel that you're doing the best job you can for them and treating them with respect.
1: I agree. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's uh, where our the office is. It's located at Forty College Street at Police Headquarters, and it's always been on the main level, and that provides easy access for the community to come in and speak mm. to us. I mean, right now, uh, Randy's in full uniform, mm-hmm. and I'm in what we've I've come to known as uniform of the people. Mm. Um, So I'm just in regular jeans, attire, and uh, that is a huge way of uh, building that respect and building that trust with our community, because there is that barrier with the uniform. So, um, you know, and there are times when I do come in uniform to the schools or certain activities or events, but majority of the time, I'm in just casual attire, and the community respects that, and vice versa, and I I seem to get um, more um, rapport by 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 uh, not coming into uniform that often.
1: Mm. And it's funny, so in Scarborough, I'm mostly uniform, and very rarely do I go um, in plain clothes. Mm. And uh, it's funny because of all the events that, uh, you know, the events and initiatives that we take part in throughout the year that I'm in uniform, I'll show up not in uniform one day, and the kids, so I deal with a lot of kids in Scarborough, and you know what, they're, they're different. Mm. They, they don't know how to take me. Mm. Um, there's just you, you, I hate to use the term the power of the uniform, but mm. it's the um, you know the effect of the uniform. Yeah. You really realize what uh, what it has on people, mm. and uh, that that would be pretty cool for for Monica to be in plain clothes and then show up in uniform one day, mm-hmm. to, just to see the reaction and people. You know they're they're more serious with you. They don't mm-hmm. know if they can joke around, and mm. they, they you know it's, so it's I think it's very important to do that to be in uniform and show up, not or vice versa. I think it's very important, because then
0: people see you more as a human being. Of course. And That's what we're trying to do. And, and uh, I think uh, Indigenous people, so that leads me to another question about uh, being human and being treated as human. Uh, what would you say are, from your experiences, uh, being with the police force in, in Toronto, uh, in, this, in the GTA area, are, are the issues uh, most relevant to Indigenous people that you see these days and, and what you've experienced?
2: Most issues. Um, I think it comes down to um, what I've I've learned for the past couple of years is human dignity. Uh, I know as a frontline officer we're prone to uh, react. We're going jumping to call to call to call and are trained to react and not really stepping back and really seeing the person for who they are. Um, And that's where we come into um, human rights and so forth but we tend to not forget but tend to step away from the human dignity aspect that uh, this person is a mother or a father or grandfather and so forth. So that's pretty much my role is not to um, um, shy away from, from, the, from the, uh, being proactive so much or reactive I'm being more proactive mm. in, that, in that element.
0: Do you mind me asking, you mentioned you were part of the 60s Scoop. Did you Were you able to connect with your roots at all? Did you ever you know be able to to make that connection?
2: Yeah, it was surreal. It was my brother, who now lives up in Whitehorse, who made that connection with our aunt who lives up in Winnipeg. Mm. And we had the opportunity uh, to actually fly out to Winnipeg to meet the extended family because my birth last name is Halverson. Mm. So uh, the Halverson clan is is huge. And I still maintain connection with my aunties and uncles. Uh, it's unfortunate that my, our mom and our father passed away, but we still maintain that connection, and that's um, incredible. Just to just to know that you have an extended family in Winnipeg, Sudbury, Barry, a, a half sister in San Francisco, mm. and with regards to social media and media these days, that's how we maintain uh, that connection. Mm. And whenever I have an opportunity to go to Winnipeg, I, I, I've, I've had that opportunity, and I've always uh, made that connection with my uncle or my aunt out there. So it's, uh, it's incredible.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. appreciate that very much. Um, anything else you can, you can tell us? I'm just trying to get a, a general sense of, of what it's like to be an officer in, 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 a, in a large city like Toronto and, and do the job that you guys do before we get into more of the other issues that pertain to Indigenous uh, policing. But what is it like to be an officer? You know, we don't often get to hear from an officer's perspective and, and what their daily life is like and what the kind of things are that, that you get exposed to. I'm sure your job has a lot of stress. I'm sure it has very stressful situations. And, um, you know, I don't think we 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 get a, get to hear that enough and, and understand what a, an officer goes through uh on a daily basis and, and goes back to their family or, or loved ones at the end of the day and, and appreciate what they might have been exposed to that day and, and have to try to, you know, put that all in, in perspective and, and get back to, you know, a normal kind of existence.
1: Yeah, I'll talk about this a little bit. Um, I do a lot of work on social media and I was actually challenged about, um, I was challenged on this issue on the weekend about not showing enough of, what officers the hard things that officers do to do on a daily basis on my social media like Instagram and such, and um, yeah, it's a stressful job. Okay, even listening to the radio um, y- yesterday was, for, for example, yesterday was call to call to call radio call to radio call radio call. But even listening to the radio and the things that were going on behind it could be very disturbing. And yesterday was a disturbing day, so I've kind of tried to do my best to focus on the positive side, and. Humanizing the badge, you know, I'll go back to humanizing the badge, community policing and, and such, like what I saw my dad, um, when I saw my dad in that role. Um, I try to, I try personally to, to do little things to make, to make it easier, to the to, to day easier. For example, um, grabbing a coffee. I don't normally go through drive-through. I'll mm-hmm. get out of the car. I'll go in. There's usually, you know, uh, a retired, retired, Men's group that are sitting there meeting, and there's there's families with their kids grabbing a coffee and it's an opportunity to you know just say hi and engage a community, wave to the kids whatever mm. it is mm. um so little things like that try to make um, they make my day better
0: mm.
2: example well for myself, I've been off the road as far as i guess primary response, but when I was, I really enjoyed it mm. I enjoyed it um, um just the day to day like knowing that. Today's going to be different. It's not going to my desk and repeating the same type of work every single day. That's kind of what drew me to policing. Was every day was going to be different. Every radio call is going to be different. You're going to get some highs, some lows. You can get an adrenaline rush and so forth. And and I just I just loved um, that that uh, drive. Mm. It just kept on. Every day was just uh, different. And that's what uh, drew me to policing, really.
0: You know, I I don't know why my mind is, is thinking this, but I, I as you were mentioning, you know, some calls uh, and, and the days can get busy and you hear some disturbing things on the radio. But I also, I don't know, maybe I've seen too many movies, but I, I think that you guys get to see people in very real situations. Yeah. You're the front line that comes in to address people that might be in a very heightened state of emotion, mm-hmm. uh, and you walk into that. Um and you get, are thrown into this blind. I you, you, you imagine many times, yeah. and I, I just, you know, I try to think of, of, of trying to deal with those kind of situations. Reading a situation that you have to quickly understand and get the sense of, and and try to deal with people that are in these situations, whatever that might be. And they don't necessarily need to be, you know, violent situations, but they could be just about anything, family. Uh, you know, uh, strangers, whoever it might be. And I'm sure that there are probably some very silly or ridiculous situations that you probably have to raise your eyebrows at as well. Um, Is there anything you can, you know, elaborate on that in terms of... I'm not asking for stories specifically or anything like that. I'm just wondering about, you know, what that is like for you. What, you know, what can you share with that, if anything?
2: Well, I think that comes down to the training, mm. and it also comes down to your lived experience Your the lived experience prior to getting on, because then how can you relate to that? those certain situations, mm. like domestic violence mm. or um, any other calls on trying to de-escalate a situation? That, I, I think as far as uh, for myself, it's from lived experience, and if I'm dealing with a, I'm just going to stick with domestic situations for now, but, uh, you know, myself as a as an, as a, as a female officer, um, and also a mother, I can, you know, somewhat, um, relax. Maybe if it's another female that I'm speaking to, maybe there's more of a connection there. Um, but,
1: um. Well, back in, uh, i to bring my dad into it again. Back in, uh, 1969 when he was hired, as a man, mm. there was requirements. You had to be, you know, probably, I think, around six foot tall, and you had to oh. know how to get in a fight. <laughs> and, and back to what Monica was saying, being a mother yeah. and have you know those lived experiences we're hiring people like that we're not no longer hiring 18 year olds off the street mm. we're hiring people with those experiences up to 49 years old there was a mm. guy at my wow. station who's 49 years old wow. and he turned 50 while he was at the police college so he was hired at 49 turned 50 in the college and and back to your question I try to avoid so I'm in uniform now and I have my I have my gun belt and I have my firearm and and rounds and my ass, pepper spray, I have handcuffs, all these tools. And we've talked, uh, we've mentioned or tried to stress a point on social media that our most powerful tool is our mouths, mm. tactical communication. Mm. And listening is part of that. So when you go into these situations, it's just listening. Your body language, how you react may determine how that call is going to go. And mm. I think a lot of that comes with mm-hmm. age and experience, mm. I would yeah. say personally.
0: Mm. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that with us and giving us a sense of, of what it's like for, for you guys to be officers and, and, and take on this role. I, I can't think it's a, a very easy job to take on, but it's one, of course, that is necessary and that, that, that uh, is, 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 uh, is very much needed in our society today. And we do have to take a short pause. We'll take a short pause and we'll come right back after this. And we're back on Element FM and Moment of Truth. You're listening to uh, Moment of Truth, as I just mentioned. I'm your host, David Moses. We have two uh, police officers with us in the studio today from the uh, Toronto Police Force, and in specifically the Aboriginal uh, uh, Policing Unit. And uh, Monica Rutledge, uh, police uh, constable, and Constable Randy Arsenault. And uh, Monica, you wanted to to talk a little bit about the, the peacekeeping unit itself, how it got started and, and how that came about. You want to sure. about that?
2: Uh, So the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit, um, there was an officer, uh, the late Sergeant uh, Bob Crawford, who sought a need uh, to build relations within the Indigenous community and the police. Um, so he pretty much got it off running. Um, so that was back in 1989 where he actually directly, directly reported to the chief then, chief of police. Um, in 1992, it was officially established uh, as a unit. And they had, um, as I mentioned, it's, it's at headquarters on the main floor, and that's where it's been. Um, and it was um, established with uh, many officers, many duties and responsibilities and so forth, and just continuing uh, with that main objective, which is to uh, uh, keep um, bridging the gap between uh, the, uh, the police and the indigenous community. And here we are, 26 years later, and we are still uh, doing the work that and, and, and seeing his vision and maintaining that and keeping up with it. Um, uh, the, the office is still on the main floor. Um, and now we have uh, also implemented Aboriginal liaison officers within this unit Um, just to, you know, help out uh, myself and so forth and and to uh, actually be the eyes and also to help within the community and such. Um, But I just want to make note that um, prior to this program, we already had officers who were self-identified, like myself as primary response um, back in the uh, um, 2005 and so forth. Um, I was already helping out with the APU, attending events, attending powwows and Mm -hmm. so forth. So we already had liaison officers to begin with. It was just not until 2012 where it was official that we implemented with the Aboriginal Consultative Committee, implemented um, the Aboriginal Liaison Officer Program. And as such, we have uh, at least one officer assigned in each of the 17 divisions. Okay, yeah. Like, for example, Randy here is out in 43 Division. And then we also have Dave Sawyer from 43 Division as well. Now, they don't have to self-identify. They can be, you know, from from any background. Sure. But yet Mm -hmm. these officers, the one thing that differs is that these officers have that compassion to do the work. They want to do the work. Mm. And that's that's huge. And if they don't have that, you're not going to make an impact, you know, assisting the office, assisting the community that way.
1: You're not assigned that role. You yeah. got to want that position. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, then, how would you say that things have evolved since it started 26 years ago? How would you? Uh, obviously, in 2012, you added these these officers. Uh, anything else has anything else evolved within its its framework in terms of its approach or or how it gets involved or the things that it does in the community or you know any other way.
2: Well, we have implemented 2009 a statement of commitment and guiding principles, Um, and that was approved by the Toronto Police Services Board, and that took approximately six years to have it finalized, and that Mm -hmm. was with the assistance of our Aboriginal Consultative Committee members and the board. Um, And that implementation just outlines um, that the office will be um, overseen by an officer, Indigenous or not, and it also oversees the training and so forth. So it is a statement of commitment that we, we follow through and, and we, we uh, keep track of to ensure that we are still following the mission and vision statement of, of the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit. Mm. So that just keeps us in check. Okay. And it's, from what I gather, is one of the... I've only, I haven't heard of any other service doing <clears throat> that, or even those that have an Indigenous Bureau. Mm.
1: So I think it's effective because Toronto is a community but there's many different communities within that community. I think Mm. what um, every community is unique, so every community requires a unique approach. Mm. And what may work here in 51 Division, where we are, may not necessarily work in 43 Division, Mm. may not necessarily work in 12 Division. And having an ALO in the divisions are able to establish what the needs of that community are, how best to work with that community, and uh, move forward with it. So I think it's been a huge success for those reasons.
0: So when you were you were saying that you, you're not sure of any other force with this, is that what you said? Oh with the it? statement of commitment. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Um, but obviously other other police forces in other cities like Ottawa or elsewhere, they, they have indigenous, uh, um, an Indigenous or Aboriginal unit as well?
2: Um, know, some of them have, like, for example, like the OPP do. Yes, mm. they do. But uh, other services may have a liaison officer
0: position. Mm right
2: not one that's specifically geared right like uh, ours i mean we, again we've pretty much um mm. i would say we're pioneers of mm. well not myself but mm. with our sure. the, f- the previous officers that actually built this and, and made it happen um it's from what i gather that it's one of the first designated offices one of the first in canada
1: mm. well i just came back from vancouver and and uh they were talking about our unit because they see we've connected online through social media, and um, it was the officers who were asking the questions about, "Are what is the unit and what do you what do you do? How does it work? How do liaison officers work?" So, it mm-hmm. were noticed right right across the country, and these were also these officers. They were also supervisors, people in positions to make changes, positive well, changes. Uh,
0: no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I yeah. was just going to ask if you knew if uh, do you ever ever uh, uh, get together with other forces and, and exchange information and have well, these kind Mon- of conversations. Yeah. Monica so, certainly
1: does. Yeah, right. I've actually All flown
2: myself out to Vancouver just mm. to find out more of what they're doing. Okay, out there, right? Um, and given the opportunity to attend a conference, like I attended a conference out in Winnipeg, mm. and uh, again just wanting to know more about um, the service and how they're implementing how they're once again, building that trust and the rapport within the indigenous community there. Mm. So,
0: uh, great. So, uh, I know that um, y- you were you were uh, involved with uh, a conference uh, anti-human uh, trafficking and any violence uh, against indigenous women and girls. Uh, do you want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, it was. Um, it was for myself. I've always had an interest in, in the investigation side of things. Um, And I do enjoy the community aspect as well. Um, But when this opportunity came to me for my supervisor uh, to apply for the Civil Remedies Grant, um, I took it head on. I already had a vision in my head going, oh, wow, what an opportunity. Because throughout the many years that this office has been around, I don't think any sort of, a scale of a a conference like this has ever happened. Mm. So my vision was to to focus on the missing, murdered Indigenous women, focus on how our, you know, because that also ties into human trafficking or women being exploited and such. And uh, I pretty much saw as um, having a number of Indigenous guest speakers partaking in it. But my key key, uh, thought was to have um, this conference specifically designed for our frontline officers only. As a frontline officer myself, I don't really, I didn't have the opportunity to attend conferences like this. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not an expert at any means for unhuman trafficking. I'm not. However, working in this unit and being Indigenous myself, I knew that there was a need to educate our officers, building that foundation on um, our history, going all the way to pre-contact, to contact to where we are now, if we inform and educate our officers on that just baseline and just building it up from there, it's like building a house. Mm. So when they come into contact with an indigenous person, whether or not there are flags or red signals that this individual is being trafficked or exploited, um, hopefully that would, uh, kind of light something in their mind and say, you know, um, we'll have a better opportunity building that trust and that rapport with that individual, um, to remember all the information that they've learned from come from attending this conference and that was my main objective of the conference was education education for our frontline officers from all over Ontario I had one actually and then we went expanded it to all national so we had one officer from Saskatoon come in as well so it was a it was um, from what I gather as a I'm a I, you know you're your own worst critic so I'm the <laughs> one who organized it and uh I had officers saying this is a great conference and so forth mm. but you know I'm always second guessing can I do better mm. and I think this conference even though it was one of the first for me um yeah I think that this conference not only can go for 2 day I think it can go for a 4 day and mm. focus on um, other uh, mainstream topics main, main main areas that pertain to our community
0: And so what kind of feedback did you get from officers that attended aside Nothing from Nothing but
2: know? positive positive feedback you know um they abs- absolutely enjoyed it. i mean somehow fate worked in, in 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 strange ways where i had an opportunity to attend an opening um an open house for the ontario native women's association because okay. they now mm-hmm. have a satellite here in mm-hmm. toronto mm-hmm. i attended that open house and i'm like wow what an opportunity and i sat down and i discussed uh that with the mm-hmm. staff about this conference mm-hmm. and i was just plugging in like i was just saying well can you help out can you help me out and Anwa has been a significant um, partner in this conference. Um, Andre Moroso, uh, being mm-hmm. our master ceremony, mm-hmm. flew in. Colin Graham from Thunder Bay, Anwa, um, did a fascinating um, um, a blanket exercise, which involved officers getting up and being more involved and in, in talking about pre-contact and and how you know talking about residential schools in a different light. And I got so much, so many uh, positive feedback from officers who did that exercise. Anyone add?
1: Yeah, I think it was absolutely fantastic. Of course, it's not just officers. Human beings were constantly learning which um, and evolving. And uh, I've been to, t- to many different conf- conferences, some with you, and I took a lot away. I took a lot away from this conference that I've never, things I've never s- Heard things mm. I've never seen. Mm. I don't consider myself a naive person at all. Mm. But when you hear some of the stories and what's happening under our very noses in this city, mm. you realize there's maybe I, you know, maybe I'm not so up to speed with what's going on. And, and just that awareness for mm. me, mm. it 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 was uh, it was huge. And it's something that I think all officers should have.
0: Mm. So obviously there was a there was a reason you put this conference together. And it was because of the issues around missing and murdered women and, and human trafficking. So, what is the situation with, with that in this city and elsewhere, perhaps?
2: Um, well, with the uh, the missing and murdered, I mean, as far as for myself, I haven't, I don't, I don't, I um, can't really speak to that. But I keep on top of, of the news. Um, I, I and um, through social media and such, and uh, I, I do know a couple community members who do who have had loved ones gone missing, who have had loved ones um, been found deceased, and I maintain contact with those individuals uh, as often as I can, because um, it's it's pretty much it sends it home directly home to me. Uh, not only as, as a mother, but also also as a, an, an officer. What mm. can I do more? Mm. Well, how can I, what, what is it that I, I can share to my fellow colleagues? And this was one of the reasons why I was putting this conference together to share that uh, information. Um, I guess another key guest speaker we had at the conference was Maggie Sywink coming in to speak about um, Missing Murdered. She was or had been um, an advocate for Meg on the Missing Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls um, I also had a survivor come in, um, and pretty much just being open and honest, tell me your story, tell us your story, and, and there was no um, trying to cut and paste what you shouldn't talk about, mm. or what you shouldn't share, no, it was all open, this is the stuff we need to hear, to do, or to do better, um, all around as, as officers.
0: Um mm. Okay, well, let's uh, let's pause there. We'll come back and talk about this a little bit more, but we're going to take a, another short pause, and we'll be right back on Moment of Truth. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We have two officers with us from the Toronto Police Force, and specifically the uh, Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit. We have Monica Rutledge, and uh, she's a police constable, and also Constable Randy Arsenault and he is an aboriginal aboriginal liaison officer i'm used to saying indigenous now because yes. the word is indigenous that we're using so wow. um but we we were talking about the conference that you put on and um specifically the, the, this conference had to do with um anti human trafficking and, and ending violence uh, uh, towards indigenous women and girls and uh, the point was of course that you wanted to uh raise uh, officers awareness of the situation educate them more uh, help them to understand situations better maybe how to read situations better but um uh, you, you know a couple of things were were, were used uh just while well, we were uh, waiting to come back on the air empathy and and human dignity and um I'm wondering if you guys can, can talk a little bit more about that from your own perspective in terms of what you learned from the conference, what what you saw coming back from, you know, as the organizer of this conference, uh, about what officers might need in that regard or what they were saying to you about how this benefited them in that regard.
1: Okay, so as a frontline, I'm considered a frontline officer. The mm-hmm. ALO position, Abor- Aboriginal liaison officer position, is a part-time position. Okay. Okay. Um, I work in the street crime unit, so I answer radio calls mm-hmm. and reports, arrests and such. So as a frontline officer, um, I really got the sense that this conference was a lot about awareness, and I've, i was I sat beside that Saskatoon officer, and um, you know we, we exchanged numbers and we talked a little bit about the conference after, but it was for me, I got a lot of awareness from it. Um, there was, as I mentioned earlier, there was just a things that are happening in the city right on our noses that we might not know about. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of discussed during during the break there, we won't end this issue with one conference, but this was a, a step in the right direction. If we could expand on this conference, either the, the amount of officers that are, that are uh, you know, attending and um, how long this conference can be, um, I think that would be beneficial. We talked about empathy a little bit. You know that that um, girl, and I'm using female. I, I understand that there's there's men and and ladies who are forced into trades and such. Mm. <clears throat> However, I've never come across, I've never heard about it when it comes to a man. So, um, you know that that girl who's in the car that you pulled over, she might not just be some some girl who who wants to. Uh, you know, make some money dancing on the side, or you know, working at a club. She might, she might not want to be there, mm. and um, it's just maybe looking for warning signs or um, just awareness of that there's things happening.
0: Mm. Monica, you had mentioned this this idea of human dignity. That uh,
2: you yeah, it, it struck me when I went to a conference in St. Marie a couple months back, and it was a doctor. I think her name was Doctor. Smith. She mentioned, you know, sure we have the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Everyone seems to know that, but uh, we tend to sway away from human dignity. What is human dignity? And that caught me. That that really struck me. Struck a chord because, you know, even when I watch APTN Taken, you know, I watch that like I'm like religious about that because mm-hmm. I love listening to the stories and so forth, and and how that how how they lived, and not focusing on how they died, and. Uh, Having that empathy and that dignity, like so, if we go to a missing persons call, just remembering that that person, you know, she, he, or she is missing somebody. That this person's either a mother or daughter, Mm. you know, an auntie or a grandmother, what have you, and just uh, having the officers just step back a little bit and uh, um, just, you know, focusing on that, you know, being more empathetic about this call and so forth, and maybe you'll get more. Uh, more information from that individual. And, and then again, they're right there, you're building more trust because not only when we're, we're um, trying to address educating our frontline officers when it comes to um, um, our, with the indigenous issues and so forth, it's how you treat that individual at the very beginning because that has a bigger circle than than what officer, some officers mm-hmm. may not realize. So if you have an uh, an individual who's an indigenous female just saying, she has many supports around her circle, and then her family, and then eventually this huge community and If you don't build that trust and that rapport, that has a ripple effect and uh, that's what another reason why I was trying to put this conference together is just to better assist officers and and um showing more being more empathetic in the jobs that we do and also providing more human dignity to um, um the people that we come across in our day to day duties. I think it just it just oh, you'll get more by this, more bang for your buck, so to speak, more information, more building trust, and, and eventually the community will come forward and share that information if they do have a tip.
0: Mm. Uh, what was the takeaway for you from the conference in terms of it, it was a success for you? You say you want, want to maybe expand this to more days. Um, was there anything that jumped out at you that, that you saw, oh, yes, we need to add this element for this for our officers moving forward?
2: Um i I had a, for, for me, I actually, I would love to, there was, it was so much information crammed into to two, hmm. two days, and right. um, this is the way it, it went. This is how I planned it. And now that it has happened, it was successful. I've only been receiving uh, positive feedback from the fellow officers who attended. Could this go longer? Yes. There's certain other information that could ex- be ex- expanded upon um, human trafficking as far as from a Toronto police standpoint and um, um, from, from not only from a municipal standpoint, but what about the Ontario strategy standpoint or the national strategy, or even with our Missy murdered Mm. um, now that we're coming closer to the end of April 30th with the inquiry coming to an end in the recommendations, having that implemented as well. I mean, Mm. that may be a recommendation for officers. I don't know what the recommendations are going to be, but that's something that else could be expanded on. Like you can spend, Almost an entire day, focusing on that one serious issue, our missing murdered. Um, But yeah, it's just uh, hoping that maybe if there's an opportunity to get another grant later on down the road, would you know, and maybe even partnering with another service. I don't know. That was something I had been discussing with a fellow colleague of mine who works out in Sudbury, because she's done a number of conferences herself, and it's something that. You know we both have that same vision, and can we expand it? Oh, for sure, 100%. But it's just you know, all it comes down to the grant and right. uh, who's willing to back us up with it. Sure,
0: right. Uh, Randy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that at all? Or I thought it was an absolutely
1: fantastic conference. That uh, the um, activities well, we were all sitting in that circle, so talking about um that blanket. Yeah, yeah, the blanket and, and the sixty scoop mm-hmm. and um, residential schools and how it worked on kids for going to residential schools. That, for myself and talking about talking to the other officers, that was one of the most effective presentations, and um, you know, what took away knowledge about um, residential schools I've ever been to. Um, I think I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I wish I could add more, but it was, uh, I mean, I guess with the funding and such, but it was, an, to me, it was an absolutely perfect conference. It was a perfect couple days for uh, newer officers that might not be exposed to the Indigenous community. I thought it was a huge success.
0: Okay, um, Monica, I know you do other things as well. For instance, mm-hmm. you sit on, a, on an Indigenous Education Council in the, in the Halton area.
2: Yeah, as a parent. <laughs> yeah, <as a> par- <laughs> parent only, but it is extremely helpful how so well i had a situation at one of my kids schools and um it was may or june i believe was the month and some boy came up to my little girl and pretty much called her a stupid indian and when my my girl came uh, came home she told me this and i'm like of course as a mom i'm Mm. like i'm what Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay well, that's not going to okay, so I you know I, I had a little sit down with her and, and explained it to my, my daughter as anyone, hopefully anyone else would that you're, you first of all, number one, you're not stupid. Mm. Thank you for telling mummy mm. and then we talk, we talked more about who she is and where she comes from. Mm. and then I was on the phone with Steve Paquette. <laughs> <laughs> Steve right. this is what's happening <laughs> da, da, da. then I want, then I actually made a personal visit to the school. Mm. So the, the principal already there had already got the phone call from right. Steve, and the ball had already been rolling, right. which was great because right. that's what the committee, for me as a parent, that's one of the ways on how you know um, it assisted me and mm. my 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 yeah. son my my daughter right. as well as the school as a whole right. to get it you know um, properly addressed and stopped.
0: So. Uh, am, am, and, you know, I should have asked you this right off the top but as as the uh, part of the aboriginal peacekeeping unit it, it, do you have that unit up up the peacekeeping that's,
2: unit yeah that's where I work out of yeah
0: okay so as the head that's yes, why I was that's asking me. Yep. you so <laughs> the reason I'm asking that is because then taking that situation that personal situation mm-hmm. that you just explained to us as a as a parent of sitting on this you know uh in indigenous education council um you have the opportunity then to, or do you have the opportunity then to take those kind of things and share those with your officers so that they, you know, maybe have just a little more awareness. Do you do you use that? I guess is what I'm saying in your in your your work.
2: Uh, I may share that with the officers, but as far as with them, as the the lead officer in this unit, um, and with the ALOS our Aboriginal Liaison Officers officially coming into play as an official program of. 2012, I don't like using that term, program, but Mm. we've always, we've always had aboriginal liaison officers, but Mm. since 2012, um, I've been pretty much designated as, um, um, the officer to, um, provide, uh, cultural sensitivity training for our ALOs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd be reaching out to our committee, our Aboriginal Consultative Committee, uh, as well as, um, outside personnel. Mm. So we've had uh, training from our Aboriginal Liaison, oh sorry, Aboriginal Legal Services uh, coming in to talk about Gladue Court. We've Mm. had uh, another community member, Michael Etherington, come in and share some cultural sensitivity training. Um, But what I found that a number of officers have taken back was last February, March, where we put together um, uh, a training on, uh, or educational based training on residential schools where we took the police bus, and we bussed out approximately 38 officers um, to the uh, Mohawk Indian Residential School in Brantford. That my focus was take them out of their element. Mm. Take them out. I don't want this training to be held in a police college atmosphere or in the city. Take them out of their element. Let's go there. Mm. Because it's, uh, sure, they're going to feel uncomfortable. That's the point. Mm. You're here to learn. Mm. And uh, that was still one of the other, um, the best training of what I've ga- I've gathered from these officers. One of the best training, and they would like to go back there again, because I hadn't finished it off. Um, we had uh, two survivors from that school coming and address the officers and such. Geronimo
0: Henry. In no, Geronimo? it was Bud White Eye. Okay. And
2: I, I, my apologies, I forget the, the the female, the girl, the woman's name. Mm. Um, but I wanted to have a balance, a man and a woman. Mm. Um, and then a tour of the facility, well, the museum, but mm-hmm. unfortunately the, the school is under uh, renovations. Mm. So we had the virtual tour, which it I found to be impactful it's still. It's the
0: residence, yeah, and mm. part of the school. But that's yeah. uh, I know that very well because I actually had, my business was located in that building for about wow. 10 years. So I know yeah. that build, building very well, and I know why uh, it needed to be renovated and mm. the leaks that were happening and the collapsing ceiling yeah. that was happening and... Uh, Yes, I uh, spent a lot of time in that building, uh, um, not as a student, but I heard a lot of stories. And uh, in fact, yeah. my own dad was taken from Six Nations uh, when he was very young, so he would not have to go there wow. So uh, and moved to the States when he yeah. was very young. So I'm very familiar with the Woodland Cultural Center and the uh, Mohawk Institute. So, uh, Randy, were you part of that trip to go out there? Yeah,
1: I was. And uh, again, I, I have nothing but good things to say. Whether it's, you know, the residential schools and the conference that you just r- ran, the the best feedback from officers, including myself, have to do with anything that was emotional. Um, anything
0: that's emotionally based, mm-hmm.
1: I find that, uh, you know, we take the most uh, with and from. It makes sense, I guess. It was, it's yeah. what
0: makes contact with us uh, yeah. as, as humans, yeah. right? Yeah, So, okay, anything else you guys would like, like to share or talk about, uh, we're finishing up our time, so...
2: Well, I guess mm. there's more, as far as with this office, there's more duties. Um, I keep in touch with many schools, oh, yeah. first, well, first Nation schools, which mm-hmm. is going back to their original name, Wandering Spirit. So I build connection, rapport with the staff and the students there. They go from k- kindergarten all the way up to grade 11, 10, and then they're going up to grade 11 and 12. Eastview, which is out in Scarborough, I keep in touch with them. So there's many um, Aboriginal Indigenous organizations here in Toronto that uh, I do my outreach with, building that rapport, building that trust, and, um, um, and vice versa. Um, and that's also a key role for our ALOs is to go out, get to know within your division what agencies do you have. Whereas Randy has Native town Family Services. He has Gabriel Dumont with Nonprofit Housing. Mm. He also has a couple of schools to tend to as well among his primary response duties mm. and his community engagement officer duties as well. Um, and in 51 Division, 52, the Corps have a number of, of uh, agencies and, and organizations, and I try to tap into there and, and be a resource for them, or a resource for the staff and resource for their clients as well. Um, so there's um, a lot of uh, duties that come out of the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit.
0: Mm. Anything in the future? Anything down the pipe you're looking at? Or? Well,
2: we have our NAD Day, our oh, National I- Aboriginal mm-hmm. Day of the Toronto yep. Police. And uh, um, mm. last year we focused on our cousins to the north, our Inuit mm. uh, culture. So okay. we celebrated uh, um, at the Regent Park Community Center. Um, this year we're focusing on Métis culture. Okay. So mm. I'm hoping to have a meeting with Todd Ross uh, tomorrow to further discuss that. Um, just to share again um, with the officers, and it's primarily for our youth because we're always thinking several generations ahead. So, mm. a lot of the our Nat Day uh, celebrations we focus with the schools, with the kids, and so forth, and the education and such, and to have fun. Um, another project I'm I'm heading up is our mounted unit has a new horse. <laughs> His name's <is> Monty. <laughs> Well, that's because we had a community horse Mm. his name was tecumseh Uh and if we know tecumseh he was a warrior a leader Mm. you know if it technically some people say if it wasn't for him we'd be americans Mm. but um Mm. he as a horse himself with his character showed strength in that name Mm. and the meaning behind that name Mm. and tecumseh was our community horse so Mm. when we ever had powwows at eastview first nation school or at native child powwow I'd call the Mountain Union and ask for our our horse, Mm. Tecumseh. No Mm. other horse, Tecumseh. (laughs) Tecumseh had a special blanket and it Mm. had our APU crest on it Mm. with the Toronto Police crest. So he was our community horse. He retired. Mm. Um, Gone off to live off his his rest of his days on a beautiful farm. Mm. Well, we also had Eastview and First Nation School come in and drum him out, give him a proper retirement. Nice, And Mm. it was something that, was different that the mountain unit mm. hadn't seen or heard, mm-hmm. right. and it almost—I I can tell you—it it almost drew tears to mm. some officers' eyes mm. because we talked about the meaning behind the horse, uh, horses, um, of, um, the importance of them, um, his name, and just the songs mm. that were were, were sung mm. to him and mm. in, to the unit. It was just a quick one hour, but still, it was emotional. Um, bringing in his replacement, which is Monty. Well, if he's going to be our community horse, yeah, I'm not sure what Monty's going to. I don't really. So the Mountain Unit said, "Well, we're going to give you that opportunity to see if we can find a name, okay. a different name." So again, I'm bringing both the schools back, grade five classes. This, we call it the naming contest, okay. like the Toronto Zoo does. Was yep. it out to the public? Sure. Name yep. our new panda. Right. Well, this is going to be for the Mountain Unit. So we got Eastview and First Nations. They got to come up with three names. The Mountain Unit will have the final say, and it's going to happen at the end of April at the Mountain Unit, where the name will be announced, mm. and hopefully the successor of this, whatever class, well, I'm planning to hopefully to put together a plaque with a picture of the horse they can mm. put up in their school. Nice. So it's something proactive, giving yeah. back to the community, right. and it's not focusing on the negative
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: items, but that's, a, that's another project.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Sounds that's great. What we're up to. Yeah, very nice. That's that's uh, a nice little story to end off on. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um okay, anything else you guys want to mention? We're pretty much covered. All right. Well, listen, thank you both for coming in thank today. You. Really appreciate you thank taking you the time much. to come in and share what you do, uh share about your unit and uh and share about the important issues that that you guys cover and do on a daily basis. It was uh, it, it was, I think, educational to hear about what you guys uh, are faced with on a daily basis as well, and and what you uh, have to do for the city and 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 look after in the uh, both as an officer and uh, representing and, and contacting with the Indigenous and Aboriginal uh, uh, people of the of the city and area. So thanks both for for coming in today, uh, Monica Ratledge. Right, Uh, Police Constable with uh, the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit and also Constable Randy Arsenault uh, as an Aboriginal Liaison Officer. Appreciate you both coming in today. Thank you very much. Thank you.